just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is a Saturday. We are in the midst of a weekend. Hopefully things will be a little less stressful. You'll have an opportunity to enjoy the days, Saturday and Sunday, spend some time with family and friends, and not get too worried about all this extraneous bullshit going on in our politics and in our country. You need those days to kind of relax. (laughs) That said, we'll be talking about some of those things on this Saturday on the Rational Boomer podcast. Uh, We have some big things that happened this past week. Of course, the January 6th committee's eighth hearing. That kind of blew the roof off the House of Representatives. And of course, yesterday, a big conviction. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But first, I wanted to bring up an email. And this comes from Jenna. You'll remember in the previous show, Jenna got high marks from some emailers, really like what she did on the show, and I'd have to concur. She was great on the show, as all our listeners have been so far. It's it's really been amazing that all of them have come on and done such a great job. There was one emailer that was particularly fond of what uh, uh, Jenna did on the show, and uh she sent me the email, and then she sent me another email saying, ah, don't, don't read my email on the air. I, uh, I feel like I was gushing. <laughs> and maybe you were a little bit. And I told her, I said, I'm reading the email. There's no fucking question I'm reading the email. I just won't give your name out, uh, but I'm reading the email. It's a good email. Uh, and then she sent me another email after the fact. She says, well, yeah, I guess you can tell them my name. Now, I'm not going to tell you her last name. I don't tell anybody's last name, but it's Jody. Now, Jody's, I think, been on the show, and she's uh, emailed a number of times, uh, so we know Jody. And uh, Jenna responded to that email and some of the other emails that were um, complimentary to her. She says, Mike, I'm deeply, deeply flattered that your fellow listeners took the time to respond to our episodes I absolutely love recording with you, and I can't wait to do it again. I encourage everyone to give it a whirl. Get your voice out there. Those hearings last night were riveting, and the committee opposing Holly, or exposing Holly scurrying like a rat uh, made me guffaw. Jenna. Well, thank you, Jenna, for uh, responding, and I'd have to agree that whole Holly story We'll talk about that in a minute or so. Is hilarious. Uh, And uh, I think Jody was even talking about, could we do one with Jody and Jenna and I? Fuck, anything's possible. We'll do whatever you want to do. I mean, I I think Jenna's right. Get your voice out there. Now, when Jody wrote the email originally, she was speaking from the heart. She was talking about how she felt. And then she made the mistake of second-guessing herself. Well, do I sound right? Is that going to make me sound weird or creepy or dumb or whatever? No, Jody. This is the one thing I hope I can teach people. Don't 
overthink things. Don't second guess yourself. Just speak your mind. Speak your truth. Speak from your heart. That's what you did in the first email. And it was perfectly fine. What we have to do in this world is, I I tell my kid this, and and nobody, nobody ever believes me, but you really have got to let go of worrying about what other people think of you. Like I said in the previous podcast, they're going to think what they think. No matter how hard you try to make them like you, they might smile, they might give you a, a, a little bit of leeway when you're in front of them, but when you walk away, they're going to still say, I hate that fucker. So why try? It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. There are plenty of people that like you, some people that don't like you. That's just fucking life. But the important thing is, I see this a lot. People will say things and then they'll pull back from it. Wow, was that right? How will that make me look? doesn't matter how it makes you look. If you said what you feel, what you mean, and what is your truth, speak it, spit it, and uh, just let it go out there. If some people are offended by it, that's their fucking problem, not yours. That's what we need in this world more than anything is people speaking the truth and not being afraid to say it. Now, Jody, I know you, you're not somebody who's afraid to say things, but I know this is a weird situation when you come on a, well, when I used to do radio, when I'd interview people that weren't used to being on the radio, um, people are self-conscious when they come on here. They're worried about what people will think because they don't know you as well as some other people and they might take something wrong. Don't worry about that. (laughs) I got over that years ago. I mean, once people know who you are and they they get a sense of what your personality is about and your thought process, they're either going to like you or not like you in either way. It doesn't matter. So, Jody, thank you for allowing me to give your name. But don't ever second guess yourself again. The email was a perfect email. There was nothing wrong with it. And uh, you have a good heart, a good mind. Just say what you're going to say and stick with it. And Jenna, you did a great job on the show, as have all of the listeners on the show. All of them have been different. It's not always the same, and I think that's one of the reasons why people like it. It's one thing to come here and listen to me talk. That can be a a bit much at times, I would imagine. I know it is for my family and friends, but to have listeners come in and spend some time and talk and give their perspective and their perceptions on things is hugely valuable. You know, one of the reasons about doing the Rational Boomer podcast is trying to bring more rational boomers together. And the more that come together, the more power, the louder voice we have. So that doesn't mean that it's just me talking. We need quantities of people, not just one clown like me, talking. And that's really my job here is is I'm hoping to uh, cultivate some thought and uh, give people the comfort in speaking up. Because really where our strength lies is in when a lot of people speak up and a lot of people fight for the same things. I'm just, uh, uh, what am I, I I say it in my profile, I'm just a provocateur. I'm just a guy, like all of you. I'm just willing to talk endlessly, as you know, and hopefully trying to encourage other people to talk. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'd like to be on the show, well, fucking email me and let's get on the show. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be difficult. It's not scary. Jenna points out, if you have an interest, get on. 
and those people who have already been on, there's no limit to how many times you can be on. When you're ready, just email me and we'll we'll do it again. Because you all have some great perspectives and great ideas and insights that I don't have. So I'm more than happy to hear about them. All right, let's talk about the big story from yesterday. A federal jury on Friday found former Donald Trump's advisor, Steve Bannon, guilty of contempt for ignoring subpoenas from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. Now, after three hours of deliberations, the jury found Bannon guilty on two counts of contempt of Congress. Three hours. That's not a very long time. And when a jury comes back after three hours, you know it's bad news for the defendant. And it certainly was for Steve Bannon. Now, these counts or these charges carry a minimum sentence of 30 days behind bars and fines up to $100,000. Now, the maximum penalty as far as jail time on these two counts are one year. So let me explain how this works out. Um, Steve Bannon will be sentenced. I'm not sure when. I don't think they've decided on a date. Now, he could get as small a sentence as 30 days or as big a sentence as two years. And I'll explain to you how this works out. Now, say he, they say, okay, we're going to give you six months' time in jail for each count. There's two ways this can run. It could run uh, uh, together, meaning the two periods of time would run concurrently. Or they could run consecutively. So if they're running concurrently and they give you six months for both counts, that means you go six months. Both run concurrently. Um, But if it goes the other way, it could be six months and then another six months. We don't know what it's going to be ultimately. But I got to tell you, Steve Bannon, the way he's running his mouth, he is not helping matters much. He is probably the worst enemy he could possibly have when it comes to this whole process. What's funny is that Steve Bannon does what all the Republicans do. He always makes these big claims and says, you just wait. You just wait. We're going to make this a misdemeanor trial from hell. And, of course, nothing happens. There was no hell to it. He was just talking loud and trying to intimidate people. Well, you can't exactly um, intimidate a federal judge. I'm sorry, Steve Bannon. Not even you can fucking do that. So now he gets convicted. And what's he do? He comes out and he says, well, we may have lost the battle, but we're going to win the war. (laughs) Really, motherfucker. These guys come out and say, well, we can easily appeal this and that. They're going to appeal shit. They may try to appeal shit, but he's going to lose. It's a very simple case. It's not about January 6th. It's about the January 6th committee issuing a subpoena to him, and he ignored it. He refused to go. Now, he's trying to make up all kinds of excuses why he didn't go and how he really wanted to go, but he couldn't because of executive privilege and such. But the judge says that's all bullshit. He will keep yapping, trying to change the narrative. But I think that Steve Bannon is finding out right now that there is no changing the narrative. 
Steve's going to do some time. We don't know how much yet. But if he keeps yapping, every time he yaps, it's probably going to get longer. Now, Bannon's team rested their case on Thursday without calling any defense witnesses, including Bannon himself, and instead asked the judge to acquit him. (laughs) This kind of all stems from prior to the trial. The judge basically said, if you want to use that executive privilege thing, sorry, you can't do that. He did say, well, now, if you want to suggest that uh, you didn't know when you were supposed to be there, so you didn't go, you could use that. But at the same time, clearly he did know. He got the subpoena. Uh, It was all over the TV news. We all knew what date it was. So the idea that he didn't know is fucking ridiculous. And the and the the defense attorney said, "Look, man, we why are we even going to trial? I've got nothing to defend this guy with." And the judge said, "Yeah, that's kind of true, and it was true. It's a very simple case. They issued a subpoena. You didn't comply with the subpoena. You're fucking guilty. It's as easy as that." Now, Assistant U.S. Attorney Molly Gaston said during closing arguments that the subpoenas were straightforward and that Bannon chose to blow them off. Our government only works if people show up. It only works if people play by the rules. And it only works if people are held accountable when they do not. Yeah, that makes sense. After the House January 6th committee issued his subpoenas, Bannon was quoted by the Daily Mail as responding, I stand with Trump and the Constitution. Well, of course you do. But you clearly don't know what the Constitution says. Now, later on Friday, the heads of the committee, Chairman Benny Thompson and Vice Chair Liz Cheney, released a joint statement calling Bannon's conviction a victory for the rule of law and an important affirmation of the select committee's work. As the prosecutor stated, Steve Bannon chose allegiance to Donald Trump over compliance with the law. It's very clear. It's very black and white. They continued, just as there must be accountability for all those responsible for the events of January 6th, anyone who obstructs our investigation into these matters should face consequences. No one is above the law. Now, that's questionable, but I get what they're saying. Now, Bannon has served as Trump's fervent supporter and unofficial advisor for years and has bragged about his own starring role in the January 6th hearings. Remember, on January 5th, he bragged about what was coming on January 6th as if he knew it. So clearly he had some insights and some knowledge of January 6th, and this is why the January 6th committee wanted to talk to him. But he has warned Trump supporters that the committee is out to get them. Of course they are. That's their fucking job. J6 is about shutting down the army of the awakened, he said in an episode of his podcast, War Room. It's shutting down Trump, but it's also coming after you, he added. Well, this is true. You are insurrectionists. Donald Trump is a seditionist. Are we trying to shut that down? Absolutely. For the security and the future of our government, we have to shut this down. Now, if you're mad because we're trying to shut down insurrectionists, that's your fucking problem. But that's what we're supposed to do. It's going to be interesting to see what Bannon does here. He's going to try to whittle down his sentence, whatever it may be. So he might be willing to deal with this situation. 
I don't know if he honestly believed if he'd ever go to jail or not. Or he thought, well, we'll go to jail, I'll become a martyr, I'll write some books, I'll give some talks when I get out, I'll get rich again. I don't know. But Steve Bannon isn't thinking clearly. The things he's doing in court and outside of court are just going to give him more problems than he could ever possibly hope for. So we'll see. We'll see what he does. Now, members, this is, this is kind of a disturbing one. Members of former Vice President Mike Pence's security detail were so afraid for their lives during the January 6th insurrection uh, that they made calls over radio to say goodbye to their family members, according to testimony given to the House committee investigating the attack. The members of the VP detail at the time were starting to fear for their own lives. And this is coming from a White House national security official. He said in the testimony to the committee that aired in a hearing on Thursday, the official's identity was withheld for security reasons. There was a lot of yelling, a lot of very personal calls over the radio. The official added, it was disturbing. I don't like talking about it, but there were calls to say goodbye to family members. The VP detail thought that that was going to get very ugly. And, well, it did. They wanted to hang Mike Pence, for Christ's sake. Now, after rioters broke into the Capitol, Secret Service rushed Pence to a secure area just off the Senate floor, where he had been presiding over the certification of the 2020 electoral results. The rioters came literally within 40 feet of Pence before he was evacuated. Now, some rioters were chanting for Pence to be hanged, and a gallows was erected outside the building. Five people died, and more than 140 officers were injured in the riot. Witnesses described a war zone at the scene that looked like a medieval battleground. Lawmakers and their staff, who hid as the violence erupted on January 6th, also feared for their lives. Can you imagine that? The Secret Service, who is there to protect the president, protect the vice president, and they're scared shitless about this insurrection. An insurrection that Donald Trump initiated and incited and probably help plan and facilitate and all of these things. This is who Donald Trump is. Now, these Secret Service had very good reason to be scared. It is their job above everything else to protect Mike Pence in that situation. So if this raging radical right horde comes knocking at the door, they got to do something. But even with guns, they would be limited in what they could do because, first of all, who wants to start a gun battle in the fucking Capitol? That's not going to go well. But even if they do, the crowd was far too big. They would get overrun and they would get destroyed. And this is what they were seeing. That's all they knew. They saw people crashing into the Capitol, breaking windows, hurting police officers. And they knew that they could be in line to be hurt just as well. That's got to be a terrifying situation. And it was an ongoing situation. It wasn't like it was three minutes or five minutes. It was hours, uh, 187 minutes to be exact. And uh, these people were scared to death. Now, even Pence was scared, and he had every reason to be scared. When they went down to the uh, parking garage, the Secret Service says, let's get you out of here. And he didn't want to go. 
I thought it might be because he was concerned over his safety, and maybe, with all the things we're hearing about the Secret Service, maybe that's true. The other aspect was they would want to get him out of there and not return him in time to do the electoral certification, and then they would create all this chaos, and Donald Trump would be able to change the narrative and try to get something going his way. So Mike Pence was was very brave to do that, and he had good reason to do that. That said, Mike Pence was also the same guy that tried to figure out every way possible to do Donald Trump's bidding. He couldn't find a legal way to do it. So as much as some people think he's a hero, he really had no choice but to do what he did. I think I was in a state of shock, to be honest. I was absolutely terrified. Erica Lowe, then a staffer for Republican or Representative Jim Clyburn, a Democrat from South Carolina. Looking back at the text messages to my family and friends, I just asked them all to pray because I really didn't know what was going to happen. I don't think I truly understood the gravity of what happened until afterwards when I saw the images. Now, keep in mind, This is the President of the United States creating this bullshit. He's the one that is responsible for it. And that's the thing. You know, for a long time, until the January 6th hearings, it was kind of a gray area. Donald Trump says, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. But now what we're seeing from the January 6th committee, it's very clear about what he did and what he didn't do and how he was responsible for this insurrection. It's really getting to look bad for Donald Trump because more comes out the more he is implicated in this whole thing. And he's losing his shit, and he's upset. We'll talk about that more later. But this is what narcissists and sociopaths do. They bullshit their way through. They bully their way through. But when it comes to a point where they're cornered, They just lose their shit. And we're going to see some crazy shit coming out of Donald Trump. I guarantee you that between now and November, it's going to get crazy because Donald Trump continues to lose his grip, his foothold on the Republican Party. Keep in mind, when we're watching these January 6th committee's hearings, there hasn't been one Democrat that's testified. They're all Republicans. And many of these Republicans were people very close to Donald Trump, both in terms of a working relationship and proximity. They saw and heard all that went on. They stood by Donald Trump, and I know now they're looking at it as, well, this is a mistake. And I've said this all along. People could see, normal people of a rational mind could see what was going on and that it was wrong, and that it was against the Constitution, And it was an attempt to overthrow the government. But these people were so afraid of Donald Trump, they stood by him. And I think what a lot of these people are going to find out is they stood there too long. It's too late to try to separate yourself from Donald Trump. The stink of Donald Trump is all over you, and you will never, ever get it off. What you have to understand, this is a hugely historical thing. You keep hearing about Watergate and how that affected history. Well, that is a fraction of what's going on now with Donald Trump. Ten years from now, 20 years from now, they'll still be talking about this. Donald Trump will be a pariah, much like Richard Nixon was. He'll never get that back. 
the history is not going to play well for Donald Trump, his administration, or even the Republican Party as a whole. It's just, it's just not going to go well. And I don't know that they understand that, but that is the way it's going to go. And the January 6th committee is doing a masterful job. Every hearing, a little bit more comes out, more proof, more evidence, more witnesses, all people that were connected to Donald Trump. It's one thing for the Democrats to stand up and say, well, he's a criminal. He did this. He did that. And, of course, all the Republicans do is say, well, it's partisan, and they're just trying to get Donald Trump and trying to get the Republicans for political clout. But as I say, that's not what's going on. These are all Republicans. These are all people that work with Donald Trump or in the White House, people who have been tied to Donald Trump and have been loyal up until this point. Now it's a different situation. Now everything that comes out says Donald Trump was the ringleader here, and he is the one that is responsible for what happened on January 6th. And that's the interesting thing about the January 6th committee. I think a lot of us thought that they would take down people one by one, and they're going to do that to a certain extent, especially with the sitting members of Congress. But this investigation is very pointed at one person, and that is Donald Trump. I'm guessing that they're figuring, well, if we can get Donald Trump dead to rights, the people around him will automatically fall because they were doing his bidding. In spite of the fact they may have a change of heart right now, they were still doing his bidding. And they are culpable for the criminal activity that went on during this time frame. Somebody had to do the criminal activity for Donald Trump, and these people are the ones that did it. Now, people will talk about uh, Steve Bannon. Well, maybe he'll get three months. Maybe he'll get a year. It's not enough. Just remember this. He is not being charged and convicted of the insurrection. He's being convicted of not complying with a subpoena to talk about the insurrection. Steve Bannon clearly had ties to the people who were putting together this insurrection. He may have been one of the shit stirrers in the middle that made it happen. Now, just because he's convicted of not complying with a subpoena doesn't mean he's not going to be committed with a seditious conspiracy or whatever else. He was in the thick of it. They're going to get him on this one, but uh, this won't be the last trial that he's involved in. He was too much involved in this situation not to be brought up potentially on charges. So don't be surprised if while Steve Bannon is sitting in jail that another indictment comes down and he has to go to court for whatever activities he did on January 6th. All that will mean is Steve Bannon will spend a longer time in jail. He'll be there in jail for quite some time. We'll watch and see what happens. We'll take a quick break right now. And then we'll be right back. All right. I love this story about Josh Hawley. The moment I saw that guy's face on television for the very first time, I knew I hated that motherfucker. And here's why. He reminds me of a kid I knew in middle school, or we called it junior high at the time. 
Now, this guy was an ultimate douchebag. He was arrogant. He was an asshole. He wasn't a tough guy, so what happened was he got his ass beat a couple times a week. But he still continued being an asshole. He never learned a fucking lesson. And that's who Josh Hawley seemed to be to me. He just seemed too smug and and douchey, and I just didn't like the guy. Well, it turns out my first perception was right, because he is a big douchebag. Nobody likes the motherfucker. He is the junior senator from Missouri, and uh, he's probably not going to be there for a second term. The people in Missouri, even his own financial support, his biggest supporter, has said, yeah, fuck Josh Hawley. Now, in the early afternoon of January 6, 2021, Senator Josh Hawley flashed a fist pump of encouragement at a growing mob outside the U.S. Capitol. You remember that picture. It was a very famous picture. We saw it all over the place. Here's Josh Hawley walking along in his suit. He sees the insurrectionists behind the barriers before anything has happened. He puts up his hand, his fist, to show he's in solidarity with those people. Yeah, we're all tough guys. I'll be right there with you. I'm a tough guy, too. (laughs) But then, hours later, in a never-before-seen surveillance footage released on Thursday, the senator, now looking quite timid, is seen literally running away from the same mob. This is the mob he was encouraging. This is the mob that he agrees with in an ideological sense. And and now he sees these people charging the Capitol. And as much as he'd want us to believe that it's, well, just a peaceful protest, he looked a little nervous. And it was kind of funny. They, they cut away and they showed this video of him running across a hall. And, of course, he's got this... <laughs> uncoordinated, awkward run. He looks a little disheveled. Then they show him coming down the steps, and he's in a hurry. He needs to get the fuck out of Dodge because he knows that he might get injured or even killed if these uh, crowd of rogue, toothless pieces of shit actually get in the building. So now he's scared. (laughs) And the best part of this was when they were showing this uh, never be, never before seen footage. Everybody in the House of Representatives just fucking started laughing. Now you have to understand somebody like Joshi Holly. He's a uh, he's a narcissist too. He's a fucking creep. He's a douchebag. And to be in a situation where people laughing at you that's their greatest fear. I mean, it's like it come around full circle, and I'm guessing on Josh Hawley, based on my experience with somebody similar, but when he was a kid, he'd get beat up, uh, he would do something stupid, and he would get laughed at. Nobody took him seriously in school. That's my guess. So now it comes full circle. Now he's trying to be the tough guy. (laughs) He's trying to be the tough guy, but now he's shown for the coward he is the liar he is, and now every one of his uh, his colleagues in the House of Representatives is laughing their asses off at this guy, probably even Republicans. And uh, then there's this uh, quote, Josh Hawley is a bitch, 
and he ran like a bitch. <laughs> the 20-year-old, 20-year police veteran told Politico in an interview after the January 6th House Select Committee hearing with the surveillance footage was shown. Now, that's, that's Michael Fanone. He is the uh, police officer for the U.S. Capitol who almost died. He had a heart attack or two heart attacks. He was being tased. He was being beaten. He is very fortunate that he is even alive right now. I believe he resigned as a cop, but he's still speaking out. You see him on all the TV shows. The fist pump combined with what he did in the immediate aftermath just shows his true character or lack thereof. While witnesses in the hearing erupted in laughter at the clip of Holly hightailing it away from his own actions, it was no moment of levity for Officer Fanone. Obviously, I see the amusement of it, but I'm not going to fault people for finding humorous or humor in it. But that pisses me off. That guy's a clown, he said. You see the way that these guys perform in public, and then when they are in reality, you get a lot of that nonsense up here in Capitol Hill with these members of Congress that have become a caricature in the media. But in reality, they have no character. They have no honor. They have no integrity. Fanon has been outspoken critic of the GOP response to the Capitol riot. Testifying before Congress last year, he detailed the harrowing events he witnessed after responding to desperate calls for law enforcement backup on January 6th. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room, he said at the time, but too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell wasn't actually that bad. Can you imagine how that feels to be a cop? Your job is to protect these members of Congress, even the Republicans. And then something horrific happens, something horrible happens, like January 6th. And these Republicans want to tell Officer Fanon and everybody else that it wasn't that bad, it wasn't a big deal, it never really happened. You can understand the man's anger. This man almost died. He had a heart attack on the scene. He was beaten unmercifully, and he was tased. And this is what brought on the heart attack. But yet some of these Republicans want to tell him that, oh, nothing big happened. We should just get over it. You can understand how Officer Fanon thinks differently about that. And he was a good one to testify. And his input about Josh Hawley is dead on. This guy is a phony tough guy. He's a phony smart guy. He's not that bright. Yeah, I know he has an Ivy League education and a law degree. But I got to tell you, I'll be honest with you. I've met a lot of lawyers in my life. Very few I would trust, and very few I think are that intelligent. Sure, they can pass the bar, but when it comes to dealing with real people in real situations, they haven't a fucking clue. So, Michael Fanone's uh, input is well taken. And if anybody should be qualified to speak on this, it is Officer Fanone. He's the one that was in the middle of it. He was the one that was fearful for his life. He's the one that almost died on the scene at the hands of these fucking stupid Trumplifucks. Now, as you might guess, the January 6th committee hearings are putting out some pretty damning evidence against Donald Trump. And you can only imagine how Donald Trump might respond to this. 
I've told you when people like this get backed into a corner and there's no way out, they start losing their shit. And Donald Trump is at that point right now. Former President Donald Trump went on a massive tirade late Thursday night after the House Select Committee on the January 6th riot concluded their latest public hearing with Trump ending his night by trashing Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, as a disloyal sleazebag. You see what he's doing? He's burning bridges. He's scorching the earth before he's done using them. If he really wants to run in 2024, and I don't think he does, the last guy you don't want on your side is Mitch McConnell. But this is what he's going to do. He doesn't know what else to do, so he's going to attack everybody. You've got to remember, somebody like Donald Trump, it's really only about him. He's the only one that counts in his mind. So if he has to tear down Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, or every other fucking Republican in the business, he will do that if he thinks it will somehow save him. Now, after the committee displayed irrefutable evidence that the former president did nothing for three hours while watching TV as rioters stormed the Capitol building, Trump appeared to be trying to place blame everywhere but in his own lap, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And he did it in his truth social. We've been hearing that a lot. He's trying to blame Nancy Pelosi for not bringing the National Guard in. Well, that was not Nancy Pelosi's job. The fact is, the Pentagon is in charge of deploying the uh, the uh, National Guard, and they have to get an okay from the president. And as I've said before, the man in charge with deploying the National Guard happens to be Michael Flynn's brother, who's just as fucking crazy, just as fucking much a conspiracy theorist as his brother. Had nothing to do with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was kind of busy running from people who were trying to fucking kill her. Now you want to tell us that it was her responsibility and not yours? Who had the power in this country? You made us believe as president you were all powerful. Now you're telling us that in this situation you had zero power? Come on, Donald. You fucking sounded stupid now. Before writing, is this the same Mitch McConnell who was losing big in Kentucky and came to the White House to beg me for an endorsement and help? Without me, he would have lost in a landslide, a disloyal sleazebag. Trump wrote, I had an election rigged and stolen from me and our country. The USA is going to hell. Am I supposed to be happy? See what I mean? He claims he saved uh, Mitch McConnell. Now, for the life of me, I don't know how he wins an election in Kentucky because nobody fucking there likes him. There might be some shady shit. But for Donald Trump to say that he is responsible for Mitch McConnell winning his election, let's be honest, Mitch McConnell's what he's been there like 30 years, way before Donald Trump had anything to say about it. But Donald Trump has to place blame, and he has to place blame on anyone that's not him. So Mitch McConnell's getting it. And in this true social posting, he said, Number one, but crooked Hillary, Clinton, Stacey Adams, and many others contest their elections, and for a far longer time than I. What does that mean? How do they know I watch TV? Well, because there's video coverage of it, and everybody on your staff said that's what you were doing. 
I never said that to Kevin McCarthy, who came to Mar-a-Lago to say hi very early on. The unselects don't say this. Now, we all know it very clearly happened, and it's not going to wear well for Kevin McCarthy. So many lies and misrepresentations by the corrupt and highly partisan Unselect Committee, adding Liz Cheney is a sanctimonious loser, the great state of Wyoming is wise to her, why not show the tapes or interview those that, with evidence, challenge the election? And then it's Nancy Pelosi's fault she turned down the troops. Perhaps she was disengaged, maybe looking for her husband. See, this is this is what they do. They, they they go after you. They try to find any little thing to go after you. Now, this reference to her husband obviously has to do with his recent arrest for DUI. I got to be honest with you. If you're as old as Nancy Pelosi's husband is, there's no excuse for getting a fucking DUI. That is absolutely stupid. And he's clearly kind of arrogant about what he thinks he can get away with. That said, compare that to trying to overthrow the country. Well, frankly, there is no fucking comparison to that. Now, Trump tends to be watching CNN's It seems like he's watching CNN's coverage because he lashed out at host Jake Tapper writing, Fake Tapper on CNN is so biased and pathetic. No wonder CNN's ratings are at an all-time low. P.S. Almost all Trump-endorsed candidates have won or are winning. Yeah, that's not true. That's not true at all. And uh, I love how he makes up these names. They're just silly names. Jake Tapper, Fake Tapper. The select committee. The unselect committee. Oh, that is so hurtful, Donnie. Really? That sounds like something a fourth grader came up with. That's all of what he does whenever he talks or whenever he's trying to lash back. It's so infantile, so stupid, so immature. But he doesn't realize it. And, of course, a lot of his followers are just as dumb and just as infantile. Think it's a great thing. (laughs) It's not. It doesn't work. And Donnie, you're fucking done. Too much evidence has come to light, and we aren't even done with the hearings. People thought it would be over after the eighth hearing, and uh, we were even told that that would probably be the case. But now we know they're going to take a month off in August and start up hearings again in September, which I'm here for. I think they should walk it up to the midterms and keep this in the ether and in the narrative up until those people head to the voting booths. It'll be interesting to see what we come up with come August. Now, the thing is, you know, with Donald Trump, up until all this evidence has come to light, people would say, well, Donald Trump did this and double Trump, Donald Trump did that. But a lot of the, the, the legal authorities would say, well, we have to prove intent. I never understood that. You have to prove intent that he meant to commit a crime? I mean, let me see if I have this straight. I walk into a bank with a gun. I said, give me all your money. They put it in bags. I walk out. I get away in a car. They finally catch up to me. If they come up to me and said, you're under arrest for robbing a bank, if I just say, well, you know, I didn't really mean to. It's it's all kind of confused, and I didn't mean to, so I should probably just get off. Is that what's going to happen? Fuck no, that's not what's going to happen. Now we have Donald Trump. 
They have to prove intent. Well, I think the January 6th committee did that in the last hearing because they talked to everybody in the White House, everybody on the administration staff, everybody in Congress, even members of the press. And when they look at the text messages and the emails and the phone calls and such, every one of them said, you have to stop this. You're the only one that can stop this. Please go on television and tell them to stop and go home. Well, for 187 minutes, Donald Trump ignored that advice. Now, at that point, it's clear he knew it was wrong. He knew it was illegal. Everybody around him told him it was. But he chose instead to do nothing. Again, somebody, I think Kinzinger brought this up. Some people say he was derelict in duty. Well, derelict in his duty would basically said say that he just didn't do anything. He didn't he didn't do his job, which is a bad thing. But what makes it worse is it wasn't so much that he didn't do anything. Apparently, he had been doing a lot of things, making calls, trying to pressure senators and representatives and such. He just chose not to do the right thing. So if that is not the perfect illustration of intent, I don't know what is. And this is putting a lot of pressure on Merrick Garland. He almost has no choice but to investigate and indict. If he doesn't, it's going to be worse for the country, worse for him, and worse for all of us than if he does nothing. You know, they're very concerned about getting political and partisan and such, but this is at such a level that has to be cast aside. We have a country to save, not political integrity. There is no political integrity. So we've got to save this country. And that means that Merrick Garland has to step up, send out some indictments, and make people accountable for one of the most egregious things that a political party has ever done to this country. Well, this is an interesting story, and I've been waiting for this one. And it's going to cause... A bit of a shitstorm, I'm sure. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a controversial gun bill modeled after Texas's vigilante abortion law on Friday, teeing up a legal battle with the U.S. Supreme Court friendly to the Second Amendment groups and firearms owners. Now, Newsom started a game of legal chess in December when he called for gun control legislation in California modeled after the Texas law that authorizes private citizens to sue anyone who aids and abets in an abortion, which the high court declined to block. Senator Bob Hertzberg, Democrat from Van Nuys, and a coalition of Democratic lawmakers introduced Senate Bill 1327 in response to Newsom's request as a way to test the Supreme Court's legal logic. While setting up a political rivalry with states that have used a conservative majority of justices to expand gun ownership and curb abortions. If they're going to use this framework to put women's lives at risk, we are going to use it to save people's lives here in the state of California. That's the spirit, the principle behind this law, Newsom said during a press conference to sign the bill. So basically what we're talking about here is we know what Texas and Florida and all these places did with the abortion law. Uh, They wanted to put it back on the states, and they wanted to pass these laws before Roe v. Wade was overturned so that they could 
use some vigilante justice in terms of stopping people from getting abortions. Before it was a situation where Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, what what states like Texas did was said, look, go get your abortion, but if we catch you getting an abortion, anybody can sue you. Anybody can sue you. And I always thought this was short-sighted because if they can do this, then somebody can do something that they won't like. And Gavin Newsom caught on to this very quickly. He said, okay, if you're going to do that with abortion, we're going to do the same thing with guns. When it gets to the Supreme Court, it's the same argument. They have to give the decision to the gun laws in California if they continue to give the go-ahead to these vigilante laws for abortion in Texas. So basically what Gavin Newsom is doing is pushing it in their face. I've told you they're not very for they don't have a lot of foresight. They don't realize the things they are doing can come back and slap them in the face. And what Gavin Newsom is doing is exactly that. He said, if Texas can ban abortion and endanger lives, California can ban deadly weapons of war and save lives. Now, earlier this month, Newsom ran a campaign ad in Florida, which makes no sense because he's the governor of California, in which he claimed the freedom is under attack in the Sunshine State and urged residents to join us in California. Abbott Press Secretary uh, Renee as he said, Newsom should instead focus on all the jobs and businesses that are leaving and coming, leaving California and coming to Texas. Yeah, that's how they always do it. They divert, they distract. Well, yeah, what about ism? That's what they do. It's lame, it's stupid, and it doesn't work. <clears throat> now, the new gun law set to go in effect in January will allow private people to sue anyone who imports, distributes, manufactures, or sells illegal firearms in California, such as assault weapons, uh, 50 BMG rifles, and so-called ghost guns. The law requires a court order uh, $10,000 in damage for each weapon used in alleged violation, along with attorney's fees. The bill was written so that if Texas law is nulled, California's would be similar, similarly invalidated. So they're saying, we're going to do exactly what you're, gonna, what you're doing, but you're not going to like it because it's going against your ideology. Now, if they nullify the one in Texas, then the bill would be nullified in California. See what he's doing? He's trying to put them in a position. They don't like the gun thing, so they end up nullifying the abortion law in Texas, and then Californians would come off. So it'll be interesting to see what's more important to them, the gun laws or abortion. What we're looking at here between California and Texas is what we're going to see a lot of if things continue the way they are. We're talking about pissing contests. We have government officials, representatives, who should be doing the right thing for us, not playing these pissing contests. Now, I know why Gavin Newsom's doing it, and I applaud him for it, but he shouldn't have been in, put in a position to do this uh, based on what was going on in Texas. You see what happens here. you got all these politicians fighting amongst themselves, arguing amongst themselves, and their attention is taken away from the very job they were elected to, and that's serving us. This has been something that's been going on a long time, both with Republicans and Democrats. Uh, 
They focus on putting money in their pockets, passing along their agenda, and they don't give us a second thought. Well, let's be honest. That's why they're fucking there. And this is why we have to change the whole culture of our political party. They're out there like they're free agents, and they're out there like they are a a monarchy or a dictatorship where they can tell you what you need, and they don't have to listen to how you feel, the polls and such. I mean, let's be honest, with Roe v. Wade, 70% of this country supported Roe v. Wade. Still, these fucking Republicans say, nope, we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. You see, they don't care about the people, in spite of the fact that that is the very essence of their job. This is a problem with our politics, both Republicans and Democrats. Clearly, it's more of a problem with the Republicans right now, but once we can get them shut down, We've got to look long and hard at the Democrats, but they because they have had some some things that aren't the most impressive either and aren't necessarily doing their job. So we're in the middle of a pissing contest between California and um, Texas. It'll be interesting to see what happens, and it'll even be more interesting if it gets to the Supreme Court and what they do. Theoretically, they should act on that law just the same as they did with the abortion law. It's the very same deal. It's the very same situation. But you want to bet somehow the Supreme Court will find a way to rule against it. And then that further exposes who our government or our Supreme Court truly is. They are partisan. They are hacks. They are corrupt. They are criminal. And that puts us back to where I said before, if we have a Supreme Court like that, we no longer have a Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is essential because it's one of the three branches of government. And if that is tainted and worthless, we've got to figure something out. We've got to get a Supreme Court that we can trust. And the only way that can be done with the Democrats is if they stack the court, add four more uh, justices and even things out. Something like that isn't going to happen till after the midterms. The midterms are going to be the make-or-break time. If the Democrats can, at the very minimum, hold on to the House and the Senate, that will be helpful, but probably won't get the job done. What they have to do is expand the margins of um, the majority in the House and the Senate. A lot of people think that's an improbable thing. I don't. There is too much going against the Republicans. We're seeing it in polls. We're seeing it in fundraising. People are pulling away from the Republican Party. I said from the beginning that I think the Democrats could do incredibly well in the midterms. And this is going to put the Republicans in a bad place. And if this happens, I'll tell you what's going to occur with the Republicans. It will take a decade for them to get their strength back and their shit together. They've got a split party right now, and it's very split at this point, which is good news for the Democrats because the Republican Party, if they are split, they can't win shit. And that's what we should be praying for at this point. They don't get shit for two reasons. Then the Democrats can hopefully get us the things we need, and then the Republicans are going to have to sit back and look at themselves and say, we got to make some changes. And maybe just maybe they get back to a normal party, or maybe they just fade away and another party comes up. The bottom line is we need two parties. we got to keep everybody honest, and that includes the Democrats. 
So if the Republican Party is going to go away, we need to something see something else emerge to balance our government out. All right. We're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.